about this whole process of his call and his walk with the Lord and the ultimate plan that God has had in mind that led to that which we have just thought about, that Jesus is our Savior. You know, to, uh, last week we talked about God's call to Abraham and uh, to know that one has heard from the living God and is following God's call. That, that's certainly uncertain, but, but also exciting. But I will say, watch out. It's not an easy road when we say yes to God's call. There are all kind of challenges to be faced. We will be tested. And you know what? We will fail. Certainly there's victory in Jesus, but in this life, we still will find ourselves at times failing. In 2001, Betty and I had gone through a lengthy process of hearing God's call for us to leave pastoral ministry in Ohio and to go to lead China Outreach Ministry here in the Mechanicsburg area. Certainly it was uncertain. A friend of mine said, do you have peace about this? I said, you've got to be kidding. I have a sense of God's calling, but I don't really have personal peace because of all the uncertainty. Our uh, one daughter was just beginning her college experience at Cedarville. Our youngest was in junior high. It was exciting. I mean, I can remember thinking about, Lord, you actually want me to be involved in something of this level of significance, of sharing Christ with the top thinkers of the largest country in the world, and to be able to give my energies and experiences to such a, a task. What a blessing. But I remember that one of the first things that happened after accepting the position that was really quite a downer. I, I was encouraged by uh, the leadership of COM to contact a major donor with a Christian foundation that was funding new initiatives. One of that was finding a new president. So I was a part of that. And uh, so I thought, well, I'll give them a call. I'm kind of a friendly guy and just make say hello and I thought that would be pretty much what it was so I called and talked to this gentleman and man he started firing questions at me I was in the interrogation room and I had no idea how to answer most of them and so I'm kind of fumbling around and you know, I certainly didn't want to be dishonest. On the other hand, I didn't want to ruin everything that had been done before. And, and so I'm trying to get through this thing, and it's kind of like, uh-uh, 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 and uh, hang up the phone. And I remember my uh, assistant at the church was there, and I said, Dave, I think I just messed up things that will never be able to be reestablished. I think I've made a wrong choice. Maybe I need to call COM and say, it's over. You ever been there? But I also knew 
that one moment in time was really not the deciding factor for a lot of other things that had happened. And that that really probably wasn't the best decision to make at that moment, even though I felt it very strongly. And so, I thought, I, I have to take action. I don't really feel like it, but I need to call that guy back. So I called him up and I said, you know, I don't think that phone call went very well. And I feel like I need another chance to talk with you. And I wonder if I could come down, it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, to come down and, and see you and we could sit and talk. And he said, that'd be great. So we moved to this area in August middle of August and uh, by the end of August I was in Chattanooga and sitting across a table from this gentleman who I really didn't know and you might say well how'd that go pastor you know what it didn't go too well then either because I still didn't know all the answers but at least I had a chance to talk to the man face to face and he took me to lunch and was on his ticket that was nice um but I thought at the end of the day, it still wasn't too good. Wow. Following the Lord can be challenging, can it? I was sort of like Abraham, I think. Because I was moving from faith to fear. That's what we find in this passage today. He left his homeland. He traveled with his family and many others where he worshipped God in the midst of the pagan culture. He was all about what God was calling him to do. He was moving forward. And then suddenly things became very challenging. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation up on the screen here. Genesis chapter 12, starting at verse 10. At that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down into Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. As he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife Sarai, Look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him, then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister, then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarah's beauty. When the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep, goats, cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me, he demanded. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. 
Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them, and he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions. We find in this story, again, that following God's call does not ensure a life of ease. As a matter of fact, it leads into many times of testing. And this is the first of many for Abram as a test of faith. And we find, of course, the first statement, there was a famine in the land. You know, Abram had lived in the Fertile Crescent when he was residing in Ur of the Chaldees. It was a, still is a very significant place in the world <laughs> as far as being productive agriculturally. I, I don't think probably that there had ever been a time when Abram worried about feeding his family. And now he's called by God to a wonderful land, right? I mean, what was the whole promise of, I mean, we even talk about Canaan kind of being a reflection of going to heaven. And what does he find when he gets there? Famine. <laughs> Wouldn't you think if you were Abram that if God was leading you to a new land that it would be fine and better than where you had been? Seems like a normal response. Didn't happen that way. <laughs> There's a famine in the land. He's got a lot of people to feed. Remember last week's text? It wasn't just his close family. He had a lot of people traveling with him. Lot, his nephew, all of his servants, and more than his servants, all kinds of people. But he found himself with that problem that we all struggle with in life, unfulfilled expectations. It doesn't take long, does it, to find out that's not the way it goes. So, I think often we do what Abram does, and we find ourselves creating our own solutions. Now, it says here that Abram was forced to go down to Egypt. Yeah, I mean, that probably was the only solution that he could see at that time. But we, we do know from biblical history that going down to Egypt has not been a positive influence in God's people's experience. <laughs> I mean, it was a rescue for many as far as famine. We find it later, don't we, in the story of, of uh, Joseph, Jacob. And of course, Joseph's story was one that he didn't intend to end up in Egypt but he was sold to slavery by his brothers. But ending up there, he finds himself with a vision from God that there's going to be a famine in the land. And so he is given charge of that because he interpreted the vision from Pharaoh and he ends up being the one right under Pharaoh that sets up the plan to save seven years of the productive time to prepare for the seven years of famine. And it becomes the place to go for those that are starving. And so Jacob and family end up in Egypt, and, and uh, it was good while there was that Pharaoh, but that didn't last that way. And eventually, the people of God, the Israelites, become slaves in Egypt. And of course, that eventually leads to Moses being called to bring deliverance 
wasn't a good experience. Abram's time here in Egypt doesn't turn out to be a good experience either. But, but he has his plans. He, he creates his own solutions. I mean, not only did he go down to Egypt because of the need for food, but when he's there, he, he realizes there's going to be some tension with the leadership because his wife's beautiful. And so he comes up with a solution for that. Not a godly solution, <laughs> but his solution. And it, it kind of makes sense. And we'll look at, by the way, this happens again. You probably know that in Abram's story. And you find in the second time it happens that uh, it does say that, well, there was some legitimacy to the fact that she was his sister, kind of a half-sister thing. So he wasn't really lying. I mean, we've kind of done that in life, haven't we? I'm kind of fudging a little bit, but it's not really a lie. But it's still us trying to fix things ourselves. And so he does that. Try to create his own solutions. But it's not God's plan. It's his. And it leads to all kinds of trouble. Now, by the way, it doesn't seem to at first. Matter of fact, first there's initial success. <laughs> Sometimes when we seem to try to worm our way out of situations, it looks like we're going to do okay. <laughs> yeah, spiritual battle going on there too, isn't there? I mean, look what happened. It happened like he said. She was beautiful. Pharaoh wanted her and took her in, Sarai. And uh, Abraham, or Abram, I mean, he, he started to benefit from all this stuff because Pharaoh gave him a lot of stuff. Major amount of flocks, all different kinds. Yeah. Sheep, goats, cattle, donkeys, servants, camels. Looks good for a while, but didn't last long. Didn't last long because God was still at work and had a plan for Abram, even though Abram had a different plan at this point. And God's going to work to get him back on. And the way he's going to work is like he always works, and that is he brings to the end our own plans through a disastrous situation that we have no other option but to get back to what God says is his way. And so Abram fails but God prevails. You know, it's a good thing. It doesn't feel good, but it's a good thing that God doesn't let us get away with our own solutions. And we can rejoice looking back. It's not fun in the process. But looking back and looking back at Abram, we can see that in the midst of this, God brings about this problem with Pharaoh in order to get Abram back on track you know it's interesting and we don't think about this when we're trying to save our own skin but what we do does impact others as well others suffer because of our disobedience when we're disobeying when we're doing our own thing you know what we're all about we're all about me god's plan is that we don't just think about me we know that right his plan for our lives and you know he made it pretty clear to abram in his call didn't he he said you are to be a blessing doesn't seem like that's happening right now because what happens sarah sarai i don't think even though she agreed to it i mean it was 
certainly a male-dominated situation, and she did what her husband said to do. But I, I don't imagine she thought it was a great idea. Ladies, would you think that was a great idea? To suddenly be thrown into a harem with the Pharaoh where you would maybe become his wife when you're already married to another guy. Do you think your husbands would be making a great choice if they did that to you? No, you'd be killing those guys. I know you would. What are you doing, man? You're nuts. But she didn't have a voice. And she probably was scared too. Wasn't good for her. She suffered. But boy, look what happens to Pharaoh and his household. Terrible plague sent by God. Doesn't really say what specifically the plagues were, but certainly it probably was a physical problem there and people were sick and it was just awful. And Pharaoh <laughs> suddenly becomes the voice of God. Yeah, you know, I'm always just struck with the fact that we get limited sometimes we think god only speaks through the anointed ones and certainly he does but you know god's not limited by anything to get his message across he even spoke through a donkey one time so don't think he can't speak through you right okay all right or by anybody else by that matter he uses pharaoh to be his prophet <laughs> to be his word to abraham you know, no, that, that's happened other places. In the story of Jonah, you remember that one? Jonah's running from God. God says, I want you to go and share the message of basically salvation to this horrible group of people that you hate. And he ain't going to do it. <laughs> he gets on the boat and goes the other direction. And suddenly there's this big storm and everybody's going to die. And God uses the pagan sailors to challenge Jonah to be faithful to the call that God put on him. Wow, how about that? Well, God uses the Pharaoh as a tool. The pagans become tools of God. And so Pharaoh rebukes Abram for not telling the truth. He knew, isn't it interesting, suddenly Pharaoh knows that Sarai is Abram's wife. God made it clear to him. And he knew that Abram had lied about her. And so he tells him, he says, you need to get out of here. You need to take her back and take everything that I've given to you, all the possessions. And he goes on his way. That's also fascinating. I think it's a lesson to us that even in the midst of our disobedience, even in the midst of our failures, God continues to care for us. God doesn't say, okay, Abram, you need to leave all of that stuff that the Pharaoh gave you because it really was under false pretenses. You notice that? It doesn't say that. He takes it all. It seems like the solution to the famine. <laughs> I, I don't get it all. But I get it enough to know that God's greater than our situations, even our own failures, even our own sin. Hallelujah. Man, that don't get you excited. Your wood's all wet or something. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. All right. So what does this teach us? What does this teach us about moving forward in faith out of our failures from fear? 
By the way, just a little pause here. It's not just alliteration here. I think there is a direct connection between fear being the opposite of faith. You ever think about that? You know, what is the opposite of faith? Faith is believing God to do that which we have not seen but believe will happen. Hebrews 11.1. So if that's the case, what is the opposite of faith? Well, fear is being afraid and not believing God. Fear is looking for other solutions. Fear is trying to find out what's going to satisfy us instead of just saying, God, I trust you. Because faith is trust, right? It's It's an assurance within your heart, not necessarily an assurance in your hand. But it's believing what God has said is going to be true. So how, how, do we, how do we move forward in faith even when we have been afraid and failed? If we have made decisions because of our fear, I think this story gives us an encouragement that God will not let us continue in them for long. If you're His child, if you believe in Him and you belong to Him, He is not going to quit in your situation. But he's going to use circumstances and he's going to use situations to get you back where you need to go. Now, by the way, I do believe that you can continue to resist him. You can continue to grieve the spirit. I mean, God's going to work. You still have to respond for it to really make a difference. But, I think you'll know that it ain't working what you're doing. (laughs) I think you'll know that even if you try some more in that territory, it gets worse. And that's the grace of God, friends. That is the grace of God that He will not let you wallow around in that mud so long that you are suddenly sunk. He's going to continue to press you to get you up and out of there. In this case, it was the Pharaoh. No matter how it happens, we do need to come to a point in order to go forward in the way God has for us, and that is to admit our failure. That's the beginning, isn't it? That's the beginning of recovery. Talk to anybody that's been through a recovery program. What's the number one step? Admit your problem. If you don't do that, there is no step forward. If you continue to blame somebody else, or even God, and don't take responsibility for yourself, you will not go anywhere else except down. Admit your failure. Hard to do. But I really think that that's one of the things that God gives us His body to help us with. You know, the devil's lie is that uh, if you admit your failure, then people will reject you, and, and there's nobody else as bad as you, and as messed up as you are, and, and you just can't do that. But that's a lie. Because everybody has got something. <laughs> we did the uh, workshop this morning on uh, the genogram. 
One of the joys of those moments, even though it can be painful, (laughs) is that when you begin to share some of your stuff with other people, they share their stuff, and you find out that everybody's got stuff, and we're all in a process of going forward, and it shuts down the lie of the devil. You know, when you bring the truth out into the light, the darkness cannot prevail. But if you don't, it grows. And you find yourself discouraged and defeated. Admit your failure. And as we continue on with God in admitting our failure and moving forward, we find that God says, hey, there's some blessings that have come your way as a result of this mess that I want you to take with you. Abraham took all the stuff that the Pharaoh had given. It was almost one of those ha-ha-ha moments. What happened with the people of Israel when Moses was calling upon the Pharaoh and all of the plagues that God brought about to get them out of Egypt, when finally the final plague took place and the firstborn were taken, Pharaoh and all the people said, take all our riches with you. They poured out all their stuff on the people of God. And they went off with all of these things. It seems to be a pattern here. That when God brings us out of the messes that we find ourselves in, He does provide us with stuff to go forward with. Take them. Give God the glory. Lord, and you know something? He uses the blessings of our struggles and our failures to glorify Himself and to even touch others. Do you remember what Paul said? Paul said, I boast in my weaknesses. Because that's where the power of God shows up. We tend to kind of hide the fact that we still struggle we tend to try to hide the fact that maybe we've had some failures and 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 as we talked this morning in our our group you know maybe our family of origin has kind of taught us that you know you you got to look good you never let anybody see you sweat you know and and man if you do you're going to be done no that's not god's way now it's neurotic if i stood up here and just every sunday told you all my mess and you went around told everybody all your mess all the time and you never got anywhere else now that's not what we're talking about here i've seen that happen too and it's like people throwing up on you all the time that's pretty that's pretty radical thought i know but that's what i feel like no 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 on the other hand I have certainly seen it in my own life and the lives of others that when God brings you through and out of your failure and you've been in a different place that you don't have to hide the failure but when you share it in appropriate positions God opens doors to do things in other people's lives through you that you never could have seen otherwise. You have been blessed, all of you here somewhere, by somebody who shared their struggle and helped you through your struggle. Yeah. Do you know it's a, Christi- it's a uh, biblical principle? Tomorrow in the funeral here, I'll be sharing a scripture I always share in a funeral. 
not just for funerals. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Our God is a God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we too may be a comfort to those with the comfort that we have received. What does that say? You had a tough time. God was there for you. And now he wants you to take that tough time and his comfort and do what with it? Comfort others. That's how he works, isn't it? So don't get in the way <laughs> with your own solutions of how God's going to take the blessings that he's brought you, even in the midst of your own failure, to be an avenue of ministry and spiritual life to others. And never forget, never forget that God got you out of the mess that you made. Now think about that statement. In that statement is the admission of failure, isn't it? I made the mess. But it's also the admission of the fact that God is the deliverer. And I am hopeless and helpless without him. Never forget that. Never think that even though you need him that time, that suddenly now you're okay and you can make it on your own. No, no, no. That never, never will be the case. You can think about it. You can even get prideful, and the devil will love it. <laughs> yeah, look how well you... Isn't it interesting how deceptive that guy is? I mean, he's trying to discourage you, and then suddenly you have victory, and he tries to take the victory and say, oh, look how good you are. No, you know. You know. It's not that God sees you as a mess... It's God sees you as one he loves that has brought you out of the mess and will continue to do so. That's the picture you need to have. You are special. You are loved. You have a purpose. It will never end. You might not understand it all, but it's still true. You are walking by faith. You're following the God that's called you. You are going to be used by him for his glory. Give him the praise. Keep your focus on him. Recognize that God got you out of the mess you made and you want him to receive the glory and others will be touched because of your testimony. Yeah. That's the Christian life. Yeah. If we think we've been smart enough to worm our way out, we will continue to live a life of deception and not get back on the proper, proper path. Thank God that he does not treat us as our sins deserve, but he provides a way of escape to bring us back into his plan. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I remember memorizing this verse when I was a new Christian. And, uh, you know, it's great to memorize verses when you're young, because you can. <laughs> it's also great... To memorize verses when you're old, but it takes a long time. And you've got to do a lot of reviewing. It seems like when you get them in there when you're, you're young, it's there. Yeah. So I remember this one. 
I memorized it in the King James. So it's a little different than it looks here. All temptation has seized you that's not common to man or something like that. Oh, that's the, that's the King James. But this is new living. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Remember what the devil's lie? Oh, you're, you're all by yourself. You're the mess, biggest mess anybody ever seen. Don't tell anybody. No, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Everybody experiences temptation. Jesus experienced them all. The Bible tells us that in Hebrews. And God is faithful. That's the key to it right there. That's the central part of the verse. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can get away from it. No. You see what the ending word is? Endure. Does that mean that suddenly life is easy? No, you're still in the process of trusting God, depending on Him. There's never a moment that God's going to say, you got it made now, it's all done. You're in the process of becoming like Jesus. And there's a forge <laughs> that you're in that He's making you like Him. But it's all good, because God is good. And the goodness of God will prevail if you let Him. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 71. You have allowed me to suffer much hardship. But you will restore me to life again. And lift me up from the depths of the earth. Certainly this is prophetic. Jesus, right? But it's also a word to all the children of God who are heirs with Christ. You will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. You will restore me to even greater honor and comfort me once again. What a wonderful promise. Mark that verse down. Read that verse. Live by that verse. That's God's word to you. That's what the word of God is, you know. God's speaking to you. People say, oh, God doesn't speak to me. Well, you need to read it. And he will. And he does. And believe it. And walk forward out of your failures in a way that gives him the glory and shows that there is a future to you. Dear friends, failure is not the end. It's just another step in you becoming all God knows you will be. Following my disastrous phone call with the foundation leader and meeting with him in Chattanooga. It's amazing how that turned out, even though it continued to look <laughs> pretty sad. I didn't quit. I kept working. I kept praying. I kept talking. <laughs> I kept sharing. And that foundation, I don't think it was because I had such great answers, by the way, either. But that foundation continued to join with us and gave thousands of dollars to help us start new ministries to reach Chinese with the gospel. You know, what looked like a failure was just another step. And I ended up spending, what, 18 years with China Outreach Ministries? Left a ministry that was 
by God's grace, much larger and effect, more effective than it was 18 years before that. Financially sound. Still on the board today. Continuing to grow with new staff. Financially sounder than even when I left, and it was very solid then. Praise the Lord. Was it easy? No. Did I have other conversations with fundraising people that were difficult all the time? All the time. Never liked any of it. Matter of fact, I wasn't going to go to COM because I didn't feel like I could be a fundraiser. But you know, it's not about my feelings. It's about God's calling. Never think you can't do it if He calls you because He will provide what you need. And it doesn't look often like you're doing it well, but keep at it. Because God is faithful. And because God is faithful, a lot of F's here, kind of fun to have things that all have the same letters because we can remember them. But because God is faithful, failure is not final. Did you hear that? You believe it? If you don't believe it, start. Start right now. Because God will show it to you as you believe Him for it. Failure's not the end. Just another step in becoming all that God knows that you will be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this story of Abram. <laughs> Thank you that you don't hide from us the failures of your people. That you don't just paint some kind of imaginary fantasy, but you show us the reality of walking with you. So that we will not give up but that we will receive the blessings that you bring even in the midst of our failures and that we will move forward with your grace to be all that you have for us to be. Lord, we thank you, we praise you that failure is not final, that you are faithful and you will take us through to the end. Forgive us, Lord, when we believed our fears. Think, Lord, of that passage in Philippians 4 where you have told us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything to pray. <laughs> to pray. To bring our, our needs, our supplications, all that we have, all that's going on, all the things that are stirring our fears to you. And you've promised that the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, we hold on to your promises. Because our minds and our emotions go all over the place. I pray for anyone here today, Lord, that's felt like their failure is final. 